are you guys doing today? Good, awesome. Well, I usually, I would, I would like to use the music stand, but I'm a girl who's got too much stuff, so I got to use the big one, and I'm not, Dave, I don't preach out of an iPad yet. Maybe someday I'll get to high tech, but I still use paper, so um, can you see me okay over this? I feel a little short, but that's okay. So um, Dave asked me to um, preach on hearing God and suffering, and um, you know, that was like a really fun topic. I was pretty excited about talking about that, right? So what I just want to say is that from the get-go, I just want to be really real with this, okay? I don't, I don't believe in putting on facades. I don't believe in trying to put on airs about all of this um, because the reality is, is that I was, as I was preparing for this um, to preach to you guys, um, God was really preaching to me. And so really this message is not just for you, it's for me as well. And um, I just needed you to know that I'm not coming up here as um, that I know that all of it. I'm still in process. I'm still trying to work this out and figure this out too because um, I think, you know, our faith is a journey and we walk it differently. And some of us have great pains and great sufferings that are part of that journey. And some of us have other issues and struggles. But I think on some level we can all identify on, on, on the pains and the, suffer, the sufferings that we experience in our lives. And so kind of keep an open mind in that. Um, so, some of what I'm going to talk to you about, too, um, may trigger some stuff in you guys. I know that it did for me. Uh, Josh and I have had multiple conversations this week that uh, some went well and some did not go so well. Um, just trying to work this through and process it out. Because, again, for me, this has been kind of like a nine-year process. But, again, it's a continuous journey that God is constantly revealing new things to me on, in a deeper level. And so if there's some of these things that kind of trigger stuff in you, hold on tight. I promise that um, by the end that God will speak to you. Today is a di- divine appointment for not only me but for you as well. He has a plan to show you today that even in the midst of pain and suffering, that he is there, and more importantly, that you can hear him, even if sometimes it feels like he's far off and distant. Part of a lot of times when people talk about suffering is that they, um, they come from a place where uh, they don't really understand. And I don't understand your particular circumstance. I'm not going to pretend like I do. Because that's part of the issue is people always say, oh, I understand exactly what you're going through. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because you're not living it. So when I'm coming to you also, it's that I come from a perspective that God has walked me through. And that's really what I'm going to be speaking out of today. God has shown me a lot through Scripture and even through my own um, bumps in the road, a lot of failings that I've had in this process, but also through the, ex- the expansive growth that I've walked as well. Before we get started, I always like to um, open up in prayer, just because I don't want this to be about me. I want it to be completely about God. So bow your heads with me. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for the chance to open up your word, God, and just to know more about you, even in the middle of sufferings and pains and struggles in life. God, we may not always understand why, but we know that you are here with us. And so, Father, I pray that you would... um, Just speak in this place. Speak to the hearts that are here. Father, that you would send your Holy Spirit heavy in this place and that they would not be my words, that they would be completely your words. And if there's anything of me in this, that it is only viewed through you. So, Father, come now. Lord, your servants are here and we are willing to listen. So speak to us now. We thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen. 
So for me, my experience with suffering initially started in a physical sense. Um, it you know, ultimately went into the emotional and mental and spiritual and all of that, but it really started off in the physical. Um, the reality is, is that God made us whole beings, right? And so it doesn't matter if it just starts in one realm, whether maybe it starts in a mental suffering or whether it starts in an emotional suffering. It ultimately kind of does the whole body in, right, the whole being of us. Um, so for me, though, it started in the physical. And some of you guys have heard my story, so I'm just going to give a little quick recap for a lot of the, the, those of you who haven't, just so you have a point of reference where I'm coming from. So almost nine years ago, I was, um, I was a mom. I um, had left ministry a couple of years before to raise my daughter. I had been a youth pastor for 10 years. And um, actually, my, the last place that I pastored was at this church. And... Um, I was PTA, I had it going on, like I was teaching, you know, the whole thing, you know, running life. And um, one day I woke up with a really bad sinus infection. Weird, you know, I had allergies, it wasn't that too strange, but the, the oddity of it was that it never went away. And it progressed to the point that it was so bad that my face had uh, swollen up and my eyes were, you know, I had like two black eyes and my cheeks were level with my nose and it was just really, really bad. And I went to the doctor, and they're like, ah, just, you know, here's some antibiotics, have it this, you know. And um, that didn't quite cut it, and it then went into a really bad chest infection that, again, the doctor was like, you know, it's just, it's going around. So here's some more antibiotics, you know, try that. So as I took round after round of antibiotics, um, things never got better. They just progressively got worse. And the difficulty in that is that Um, Being as active as I was, I didn't sit still long enough to really address it as I should, right? Because, you know, do we ever? No. And so um, as I was going about my business, I was failing to recognize different symptoms and signs that were coming up. And one of them that really um, I couldn't ignore was that I had these, um, these pains that came up, like these sore spots on the inside of my heels, and at first, it was like, wow, this is really strange. And, and they were like these little nodules. And um, I was like, that's crazy. But I just kept, you know, functioning and going. And then I woke up about two days later, and it had moved into my ankles. And then um, within just hours, it moved into my, e- my knees. And within two days, it literally had moved up my entire body into every joint in my body. So much so that I became um, unable to walk or move within about a week and a half time. So imagine I'm going from this really super active mom, and I forgot to mention, I, was, I had a three-and-a-half-year-old, okay, toddler who likes to run, a very active child. And then I became this woman who was in so much pain and so unable to function on my own that Josh would have to carry me from my bed in the morning to the couch. I would sit there all day long. Nobody could touch me because even touching me would cause me excruciating pain. And then he would take me and carry, pick me back up and carry me back to the bed at night. And I would lay in bed straight like this. He couldn't touch me, don't touch me, I couldn't move because the pain was so excruciating. This went on for 12 months, okay? There was 12 months of that. And there was times when it would up, you know, it, it would let up a bit because they would increase the medication. But then the medication wouldn't work as well and it would start all over again. And, and I didn't understand why. And the, 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 the struggle of it is that the doctors couldn't understand why either. They couldn't figure out what was going on with me. The best guess that they could give me is that I had a severe form of rheumatoid arthritis. But the crazy thing of that was that I was 31 years old. I had no symptoms of this before. And it came on so fast and so drastic that they said, I've really never seen anything like this before, but it really is the best, you know, explanation that we have for you. So I sat with that for 12 months. 
once tw- it was almost literally at the 12-month mark. I can remember I woke up one morning and my chest was feeling um, really bad. And, uh, excuse me, and I, um, I went to the bathroom and I started coughing. And when I looked down, there was blood everywhere. Okay, sorry, that's not really what you want to hear in the morning, but that was my reality. And I called my doctor immediately and I said, hey, things have changed. Um, I've been begging for a chest x-ray that you would not give me because you didn't think I needed. I think I need it now because I'm now coughing up blood. And he was like, oh, my gosh. So he gets the test done. He won't even see me. He sends me to a pulmonologist who I walk in, and he's like, I think you've got tuberculosis. And I was like, "Uh, tuberculosis? I've never even been exposed. Where would I get it from? And he's like, I'm not even going to touch you. Just go to the ER. So I go to the ER. They proceed to do a CAT scan on me, and they find that I have a 13-centimeter lesion about the size of a grapefruit sitting in my right lung. And it's so inflamed and has caused such an lar- uh, extensive um, case of pneumonia that it's infected my left lung, and the blood is spilling into my left lung and coming up. Okay? Gross, I know, right? This is like, you know, what's that? House? You know, the doctor show house. Um, and again, they couldn't figure out why a 31-year-old, relatively healthy before this woman, why her body was imploding on itself. And so I was in the hospital, and um, I went through multiple tests, multiple tests, doctor after doctor. I had, like, this team of, like, 10 doctors that would come in and stand at the end of my bed and just kind of go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and walk out of the room because they didn't understand. Suffering was great in this period because I still had the pain, and I had the lack of understanding. And I had a husband and a baby that would sit by my bed and watch me go through all of this. In this time period, because my body was, they weren't really able to treat it because they didn't know what to treat me with, um, all of my organs started failing. I went into full congestive heart failure um, to where my heart got down to about a usage of about 20%, which is fairly non-functional. That means you, like, stand and you walk and you sit because you have no breath, right? Um, And my kidneys went into full failure. I was dying. And they couldn't figure out why. And there was at one point that um, they basically told my husband that I was dying. And all he could do was research on the Internet, right? Because he's telling the doctors, but what about this? But what about this? But what about this? Because he's, all he's got is time, right, sitting there watching me. And by literally the grace of God, a husband that does a lot of research on the Internet and found some stuff that he was able to bring to the doctors, point out to them, and they're like, oh, my gosh, why didn't we see this before? proper testing, and a fantastic team of doctors. They were able to figure out that what I, in fact, had was not rheumatoid arthritis, wasn't a sinus infection, it wasn't, you know, any, any of these other things, but it was a very rare form of an autoimmune disease um, called granulomatosis with polyangitis. I know, big old word. All it means is that this disease resides in the plasma of my blood, attacks the capillaries, and basically um, systematically starts from the top and works its way down. Sinuses, lung, trachea, vocal cords, eyes, um, heart, kidneys. That's the primary area that this autoimmune disease attacks. And majority of the time, people, when they are diagnosed with this, are actually so close to death that they can't be, um, they can't be helped or they're already dead because it's such a rare disease that people can't, they just don't understand what it is. So God was gracious in that moment, right, to help the doctors have the divine knowledge to understand And then they began treatment, right? 
And with treatment, what it meant was that I, um, the first-line treatment for this is high, high-dose um, steroids. And this is a rhetorical question. Has anybody ever taken high-dose steroids? It's fun. Not really. Because it causes you to hallucinate, and you get all moon-faced, and you gain all kinds of weight. Okay? So I got to go through that. And as a woman, it's always fun to gain weight. Right? We love that. Um, and to look so pretty. Um, and the other thing was that I had to do chemotherapy, which I didn't have cancer, but it, what it does is it, um, it basically subdues the immune system so it stops attacking itself. Well, with chemotherapy, I started losing my hair and threw my guts up all the time and just did not feel well. And then they also did a process called plasmapheresis, which is where they um, spin your plasma out super high speed and basically transplant donor plasma back into my body. And that was highly effective, and that's really what saved my life. But in the middle of all that, there was suffering, and I didn't understand why. See, that's a lot of what suffering comes with sometimes, is that we don't understand why there is suffering. When I was researching through this, a lot of what people talked about is, you know, what, what causes suffering? What does God say about suffering? And I'm not talking about that today, because really that's a, that's a whole sermon um, series for Dave to tackle um, at a later date. But really what I wanted to talk about was how did I hear God in my suffering? Because the reality is, is regardless of what's caused the suffering, at that point it doesn't matter All we want is to hear our Savior. All we want is to know that we've not been forgotten, we've not been abandoned, that he's not left us in that. And that's what really kind of twisted me up in the middle of all this. Some of our suffering seems nonsensical. We can't figure out why we're experiencing it, whether it's because of illness, and that's the perspective I come from. But suffering also comes in broken relationships, right? We don't understand why our marriages break up or why we have ought with our kids, or why our kids can't get along, or why extended families brawl at barbecues. You know, I mean, we don't understand that, right? There's suffering in that relationship and those broken, in that broken relationship. Our friendships, sometimes there's suffering in that. Sometimes we experience mental suffering. We have anxiety or traumas, emotional, spiritual, whatever it is, there's suffering across the board. It's not just to physical type of suffering. It's across the board that we have suffering. You know, even what Pastor Dave was talking about today, the people in these foreign countries that are suffering unimaginable things, unimaginable to us as Westerners. We don't know what it's like to have to jump in a boat and flee for our lives. We have no concept of that. But we have a concept of our own suffering. No suffering is greater than another because the thing is, is God speaks into all of it. He's present in all of it. He doesn't minimize your suffering compared to another's because to us, it's still our experience, right? And that's the key in all of it. What I realized during this period, the 12 months and really the nine years since, is that we struggle and that in in the way, sometimes it stirs up the pain we are in and things can can become cloudy for us right? It stirs up different stuff in us. And sometimes these things that are stirred up, they get in the way of us hearing God. I mean, here's the thing. I'd really love to be able to tell you that I was holy, 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 and righteous during this whole time. That when I started suffering or when I had problems or pain that I was like, oh, Jesus, you're so good. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good. I wasn't, okay? I'm going to talk about that in a little minute, about how bad it got for me spiritually, But that's the real deal of it, right? Is that sometimes in suffering, things come up 
in us that we never even knew were there. Because it takes us to a raw base level of just who we are as humans, right? Job is a great example of this. So, um, in, in the story of Job, if you haven't read it, I would highly encourage you to because it's a great story <laughs> of um, seeing how God ultimately speaks. But the, the example of Job is one that I would actually go back to a lot during this time in my life because I identify with Job, okay, on a, on a, on a, on a deep level. I, d- I identify with Job, right? He was identified as being the most righteous man on earth. Now, I don't identify with that part. Let's be clear, okay? I'm not. But he was identified as being the most righteous man on earth, and yet God allowed deep suffering to come to him. Not just in the fact of that he lost everything, okay? He lost his house, his goats, his camels, his sheep. He lost his servants that went along with all that stuff. He lost his family, all of his kids. They were in a big party at one of the, at the oldest kid's house. House collapsed on him. They all died, okay? He lost everything, That was round one. Round two came up, and then he lost his health. He literally had boils all over his body that were so bad that he literally went to the edge of town and sat on a heap of trash under a tree because he was so miserable, and people wouldn't even look at him. They were, like, scolding him and mocking him and all this kind of stuff. So imagine going from this totally righteous guy who had tons of stuff. He was blessed beyond measure. Family, wife, luxury, the whole deal, to then being allowed to suffer to the point where he's living in a trash heap with nothing and not even his health in misery and in suffering, okay? He even had his friends, okay? I love these friends. I want some like this. No, I don't. They came to him. Okay, there was was like four of them. They talk about the first three a lot. But they come to him to comfort him, right? And when they're comforting, what do they say? Well, Job, you must have done something wrong. Because God doesn't punish his people like this unless you have sinned. What you need to do is you need to get straight with God. What's the sin in your life? Come on, fess up, fess up. That was their comfort of him. On a side note, please don't ever comfort me this way. Because I'm telling you, it's not going to be received well. I'll probably kick you out of my house. But you see what I'm saying? It's like they, they didn't come to him with a true comfort. They came to condemn Sometimes that happens in our suffering, right? I had people come to me and say, well, is there a sin in your life? Well, I'm sure that there is. I'm not perfect, but come on, really? To get all of this mess? Job was in that boat, and when he came, each time that his friends would come to comfort him and say, you know, well, what have you done? What is the sin? You know, don't try to, pl- you know, don't try to hide it. We know that there's something there. Figure it out. Just, just figure something out. Even at one point, they're like, just make something up, dude. Just confess of something, just because then God will, he'll give everything back to you. And each time Job said, no, there's nothing in me. I'm blameless. And he, he, what he did is he defended his integrity and in all of it, time and time and time again. And a lot of times when people preach the book of Job, that's what they focus on, is that Job was a blameless man and how did this happen, right? But here's the key at the end. The last guy, his name was Elihu. And he comes and he says, okay, Job, I've heard these fools over here basically argue with you for days and days and tell you that you've obviously done something wrong. And you have sat there and defended yourself. And you've said that, well, God, God doesn't know what he's doing, basically, that all of these things are, you know, because of no reason. And he said, you've put God on trial. Who are you to put God on trial? 
Regardless of why this has happened, why are you putting God on trial? And what really was revealed in Job through this whole process was a prideful heart. Because he kept calling out to God, and he would say, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? And God was silent. Because each and every time that he would come to God and say, God, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? He would also say, because I don't deserve this. There was a level of pride that, underli- that was underlying to all of that, that was stirred up in the suffering. So even though God allowed the suffering to happen in Job, what it also did is it refined him up, right? Because it revealed it. In Job 42, 1 through 6, I'm going to read it. It says, Then Job replied to God, because God finally was just like, Okay, we're done. I'm tired of hearing you complain. So what you're going to do is you're going to now stand up like a man, and you're going to, because you want to put me on trial, you're going to answer my questions. Again, because of the pride that, that Job came to God with and came to his friends with. And it wasn't overt even. It was almost kind of just kind of lay low as he was speaking these things, but really it was a pride. And then Job finally replied to God because he had this ultimate like spiritual revelation of it all. He realized who God was in all of this, and he said, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. See, Job finally had a spiritual understanding, what he really had desired all along, right? And he accepts God's plan for his life, even if that included suffering. Because he realized that God knew everything to a greater magnitude. The fact that, you know, God talks about how he created the world and where were you and all this stuff, right? Job has this realization of like, oh my gosh, in the middle of it, how could I question God when it was my pride that got in the way of me hearing him? Sometimes, I know for me, in my process, I felt like um, I had been good enough. I was a good girl. And good girls get good things, right? And maybe some of you feel the same way. You've been a good girl or a good boy. You've done it right. And yet, why are you still suffering? Why does God allow this in your life? What I've realized is that in me coming to God and saying, I don't deserve this, you and I had kind of a deal It was a level of pride in that, that I knew better than God. That I knew better for my life than what he knew for my life. You know, of course, I'm looking at this in hindsight. Things have opened up that never would have opened up for me had I not had the experience that I've had over the last nine years. Was it treacherous at times? Yes. But I can honestly say that there is a part of me that wouldn't give it up. Because of how God has refined out of me, some of this pride, right? I told you a bit of um, my physical story, and, you know, for me, the pride was a lot of it, and that's one of the things that does get in the way of us hearing God is can be our pride. And one of the questions I would ask is, is there a level of pride in your life that maybe is, is getting in between you and God that causes you to not hear him as often, as clearly as you'd like, that may be something that you need to examine, like I had to. 
like I said, my story was uh, a physical one at the beginning, but really the real story was the spiritual one that was happening in tandem. Because during that 12 months, um, you know, much like Job, when I became sick, um, I had that stuff come up in me that I didn't even know existed. Because I thought, you know, I had been a pastor, you know, I had gone to seminary, I had a master's degree for crying out loud. I knew Jesus. I knew the Word of God. And yet, what I didn't know was myself. Because what I had allowed to settle into me was a lot of um, unrepentant things that I'd kind of fostered through the years and kind of coddled because I thought that they were okay because, well, that happened to me and, and, and that's okay to hold on to that, whether that's anger or whatever. And one of those that really came up to me in me during this time was anger and bitterness. When I became sick, um, the anger and the bitterness in me was so dark um, and so consuming that um, it literally took me over. I, I, I honestly, I can look back on that person and I don't even know that I can recognize her because she was so foreign to who I ever thought I would be. I would sit in my hot tub. We, had hot, we lived in the Glendora at the time. We had a hot tub in the backyard. And I would sit in that hot tub every single morning uh, because that was the only thing that would re- give any relo- relief to my joints, like the pain in my joints. And I would sit there every single morning with a black umbrella over my head. And um, my neighbors probably thought I was insane because I would scream at the top of my lungs at God every morning for like an hour and a half. I would rant and rave and throw curses and anything that I could possibly think that, I, that would hurt God. I would say that to him. And I did it in a way that was kind of like an adult tantrum. Has anybody else had an adult tantrum before? I used to do those all the time. And I would, um, I would just grow so dark every time. And, and it wasn't just that I kept that bitterness in that hot tub. It would go into my house, right? It would permeate my family. Because even as Josh would come to talk to me or people would come to comfort me, I would be like, are you joking me right now? Are you really trying to talk to me about this? You have no idea what I'm going through, so shut your pie hole. Right? I didn't want to hear about it. And the anger and the bitterness just grew and permeated literally every cell of my body. See, my physical being was almost reflecting what was happening spiritually in me, right? The infection grew. It was down into the deepest part, the cellular level of who I was. Over the 12 months, I systematically questioned, argued, bribed, tried to strike deal after deal with God. And if you've ever tried to do that with God, let me just tell you, it doesn't come out well for you. Okay? It doesn't usually go how you think it's going to go. I felt God had cheated the deal that I had arranged with him years before. In that, remember I said I was a pastor? I told him, hey, I'm a pastor. I'm going to serve you with my life. And I thought that what that meant was that I sacrificed all of what I wanted to do and be so that I could serve him because I was so humble, right? And in return, what I would get was easy street, right? Or an easier life or something that didn't include pain or at least didn't certainly include what I was going through, right? I could take some mess. I didn't expect perfection, but I didn't expect pure hell either. And that's what it felt like. My anger and my bitterness literally consumed me and ultimately cut me off from the voice of God. It says in Proverbs that bitterness rots the bones. I think it also makes us deaf to the Spirit of God, too. I think it literally, like, puts these, like, muffles on our ears to where we can't even hear God speak to us. 
And so my question for you is, do you have a bitterness or an anger in your heart, whether you suffer or not, that's causing a boundary between you and God? Does it make it feel like your prayers kind of hit the ceiling and bounce back down? Or that, is God just silent altogether? It's just a question. Because I'm telling you, I never would have thought that I was this angry or this bitter until this came up. But it obviously had a root in me already. And God was gracious enough to use this to kind of uproot that in me. Now, that doesn't mean I still don't have to go back there every now and again and do some weed weeding, okay? Because it still comes up for me every now and again. I'm not going to lie. Because bitterness and anger is a deep-rooted spiritual thing that takes tending to time and time again. But if we desire to hear God's voice, isn't it worth it? You can amen that. It's okay. Isn't it worth it to tend to it if it's going to allow us to hear God? Another thing that I really experienced during this time, um, and I saw it in other people a lot too, um, was unforgiveness. And it really was a stumbling block um, to hearing God for me and um, in many circumstances, whether, again, you're suffering or not, right? Flip over to Luke if you've got your Bibles. This is a great scripture on forgiveness. Um, in Luke 17, God is, uh, Jesus is talking with the disciples, and he's going through, and he's talking about all these different things. And um, he's really kind of addressing sin and, and, those, and those things. But what's interesting is that in this, in this section— I'm just going to kind of read the whole, like, one through six. Things that cause people to sin, Jesus said to the disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. If you, brothers, if you, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and, I, and it will obey you. So here's the thing. He goes through and talks about a couple things there, right? He's saying, don't introduce sin into people, especially the younger ones. And we're not talking about just like little kids. We're talking about um, less mature Christians, right? So watch yourselves in that. He's telling the disciples, and he's telling us that too. Don't introduce sin into people's lives. Be a model, right? And then he goes on and he says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. Okay, so that's, again, us as Christians holding each other accountable, right? If we see somebody kind of going astray, it's better to go to them and say, hey, I love you so much that I, I, I need to address this with you. I think that there's something in your life that, that, that is getting in the way of you and God, right? And then he says, if he, and if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Does anybody else want to throw up when they read that? I do. Because what he's saying there is that if your brother in Christ, physical brother, biological brother, brother in Christ, comes to you, right, messes you up, jacks you over, whatever it is, and comes to you with a truly repentant heart and says, I'm sorry, what are we supposed to do? Jesus is really clear. He doesn't stutter. He says we're supposed to forgive him. But how often do we do that? 
Because we may say, okay, you are forgiven, but we have this grudge in the back of our heads that simmers and, and, and just kind of festers there. And then he even goes on to say, if he sins against you seven times in a day, seven, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Okay, we're talking about a truly repentant heart, right? He's come to say, I'm, I'm sorry, I messed up again. And we don't have to, you know, number six, do we get to go, Psh, dude, you tapped out. You, I ran out of forgiveness for you today. Come back tomorrow and try again. No, Jesus is clear again. He says, you have to forgive him every single time. If he's repentant, you forgive him. I love the next line, though. Let me just say, I love the next line because here's the thing. Remember I talked about let's get real? This is the disciples getting all kinds of real with Jesus because they say, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Okay, first, a lot of times if you read it, they're like, what is that? That's so random. Why would they say that? The reason they're saying that is because they're looking at this, this level that Jesus is calling them to and saying, that is crazy town. You're asking me to forgive somebody seven times in one day? I, don't, I can't do that. In my humanness, I cannot do that. And so he's saying, they're saying, increase our faith so that we can live up to this. In our humanness, we can't forgive like that. I know I've tried hard. I haven't even had somebody mess me up seven times in a day. It's hard. In my humanness, I don't want to forgive. I want to be a brat about it, and I want to hold on to it. I want you to pay for what you did to me, man. You're not getting off easy. But Jesus, that's not what Jesus is calling us to. He's not calling us to be bratty little kids. He's calling us to mature up. And he's saying forgiveness is key. And then he even says, if you have faith in their reply, in his reply to them saying increase our faith, he's like, if you even have the faith of a mustard seed, you can do this. You can uproot this because he refers to a mulberry tree and another um, um, version, it talks about a sycamine tree, a sycamine tree, I think that's how you pronounce it. And this tree has such deep roots, such deep, expansive roots. And he's likening unforgiveness to that. That we have to use the power of God to pull up. Our faith has to rise up, mature up, to be able to pull that unforgiveness out of our hearts, right? So how does that, how does that work in suffering? Well, sometimes when we are in suffering, we feel like we have the right to hold on to stuff because of what we're going through, whether it's to a human person or to God. That's where I fell. I couldn't forgive God. I was like, you did this to me, and I am going to pitch a fit about it. But we have to have forgiveness because, A, Jesus is pretty clear here. There's no really kind of getting around that, so we have to deal with that in Scripture. But also, too, if we have this level of unforgiveness in us, how can we hear from our all-forgiving Father? How can we hear through that? Because it becomes so convoluted with unforgiveness and hardness of heart that we also become deaf in that, right? So even in the middle of our suffering and our pain, we still have to have a level of forgiveness, So do you ask, you know, so can you ask God, like his disciples, for more faith so that you can forgive even what seems to be unforgivable in your life, even if you're in the middle of suffering, so that it clears the lines of communication between you and God for a more effective relationship? The last one I wanted to talk about in terms of what keeps us from hearing God in our suffering is um, apathy. And this one's kind of like, 
after you've gone through all this other stuff and you feel like God's not showing up for you, apathy kind of settles in, right? And I've seen this a lot with people who have struggled for a long time in something, whether it's a difficult relationship or a health concern or issue or, um, you know, anxiety, mental struggles, whatever it may be, or, you know, being just persecuted in some way. The apathy will tend to set in after a while. Paul, the Ephesians, um, the, the church of Ephesus in, Re- in Revelation 2.4, he says, you have forsaken the love you had at first. That's some hard words right there. I'm just saying. To be told that you have forsaken the love you had at first, okay? One of the struggles that I had during this time, and really what was of the deepest points of suffering for me in that first year, came directly because I had done the same thing that the Ephesians had done. I had lost the love that I had at first. Like I said, I've been in ministry for 10 years, and I literally burned out so bad towards the end that I had lost I'd lost my love for ministry and a lot of ways for God. And during that time, it only amplified the physical pain that I had. At one point, um, during one of my morning hot tub sessions, because my mom was kind of living with us at that time um, to help with my daughter and just run the house and, you know, just to be a mom. She would come out and sit with me sometimes. And my mom is not one of these women who would say that God talks to her all the time or that she, you know, hears audible voices or anything like that. But I can remember she sat down next to me, and she kind of had some tears in her eyes, and I was just like, oh, whatever, woman. Don't even talk to me about it right now. And she said, um, I need to tell you something, and I don't know how you're going to take this. And I was like, whatever. Roll my eyes. And um, she said, God wants me to tell you that you have lost your first love. And in that moment, there was like a shock and awe of like, what? about crazy woman. And then I remembered this verse that I had studied years before in seminary about the church in Ephesus. And I heard it for a split second. And then again, I rolled my eyes and said, was it ever love to begin with? Okay, so if God's not going to strike you dead in that moment, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Okay, I'm just saying. But my, God, my, my mom was having to be a voice into my desperation, and even then I was unwilling to hear it because I was so apathetic. See, sometimes God tries to talk to us, whether it's in your car and you're driving along and he's like, hello, or it's through a person that walks up and says, um, I just wanted to ask you a question. How are you doing in this area? And if your tendency is to roll your eyes, I'm just going to let you know that's kind of where apathy is. See, God has a hard time getting through apathy because at that point, we just don't care. That's what apathy is, is you just don't care anymore. And so if you just don't care anymore, you don't care if you hear from God. So you stop asking because there's a level of where, for me at least, it was what's the point? It's not going to change anything anyway. Remember, because I was all caught up in anger and bitterness? It led me right to the road of apathy. So, have you grown cold? Is there a level of you that there's a coldness in your heart? 
And are you missing the messages that God has for you? For me, it started all at a precise and an unexpected moment when everything shifted for me. I was in the hospital bed, and the doctors were telling me that there was no hope for my recovery. Um, They had told my husband, you need to tell her family she's dying. You need to make funeral arrangements because it's done, okay? And Josh was unwilling to accept this, and thankfully, he was a praying man. And he came in, and he's like, we need to pray. And it was in that moment, I was, again, rolling my eyes, and I was like, why? What's the point? And he says, we're praying anyway. He starts praying, and then he says, it's your turn. And everything in me that wanted not to pray was kind of pushed to the back burner because out comes my voice of all I can say is, God, will you forgive me? That was the moment of shift for me. And then the next words that I said were, God, whatever you want to do with my life. See, I hadn't heard God through all my suffering, but in that moment, God's grace reached down beyond all of that I had I'd suffered through, all the things that I had experienced, all the a- anger, all the yelling, all the bitterness, all the apathy. He came down in that moment. His Holy Spirit fell in that room, and life shifted for me. I was able to hear him because, A, first, I repented. Now, I'm not saying that your suffering is because you got sin in your life. Okay, please don't think that that's what I'm saying. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. But I still needed to repent for all of that mess that I had brought in with me, Right? I still needed to deal with that. And before I could get straight with God, before I could hear him, I needed to ask his forgiveness and repent. Dallas Willard calls this getting a communication relationship back again. The only way I could do that was through repenting. It didn't erase the pain. Nope. But it gave me a peace that I had been longing for. It's that peace that passes all understanding that God promises us. That's what he gave me in that moment. Secondly, the second thing that I said was that, God, your will. I was submitting to the process. Once you're submitted, that means God can actually move on your behalf, right? So for me, though, I'm no Jesus. I still struggled with the submission part. But when I started looking at Jesus's life, and more importantly, and more specifically, the story of Garden of Gethsemane, that is the purest and rawest form of submission that we see in in Jesus's life right there. That's where we have to look to for model. In submission, there is strength because when we finally come to the end of ourselves, God can then step in and pour into us the words we need to hear without any filter or barrier between us. He gives us the moxie to fight. That's what God the Father did for Jesus that day. When Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane, he went with his 12, right, his buddies. He left them behind, and they fell asleep on him. But when he went, okay, what did he pray? He said, God, if there's any way other than this can happen, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. In that moment, he's saying, hello, this is not going to be fun. I'd really like it to go a different way. Because remember, he's 100% human, but he's also 100% divine. So in his humanness, he didn't want to have to walk the road of the crucifixion. He didn't want the suffering. He didn't want to have to walk through that. But even more than that, it was the suffering of taking the sins of the world. You and me, our sins were on his shoulders that day. Imagine that suffering. And even greater than that, the momentary separation that he had from his father in the crucifixion, when he had to take all that sin on, that's what he really didn't want to have to experience. And yet he said, not my will, your will be done. Submission. And in that submission, it gave him, the Father gave him the strength to walk all of it. 
and then to resurrect on the third day, which gives us all hope for our own suffering, right? Amen to that. Those are the things that if we want to hear God, before we even talk about, which I'm sure Pastor Dave's going to talk about at some point in the series, is looking to scripture, how do people speak into our lives, how do we hear God, before we can even get to that, we have to get straight here. We need to have a repentant heart, and we have to come to a place of submission so that God can then pour into us, pour over us, speak in a way that maybe he's never spoken before. Are you willing to go there? Are you willing to see what God wants to do beyond the suffering and the pain or even in the middle of it? Because if he's going to do it for his son, who he sent to die on a cross for each and every one of us, he's surely to do it for you. challenge you as you leave today. Think on these things. Where, where in your life might you have anger or unforgiveness or bitterness or apathy? And where do you might need to repent or give up to God submission for him to do the work, for him to speak in life-changing and transformational ways? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that we know you never leave us or forsake us, even if we can't feel you or hear you sometimes, especially in the middle of our sufferings and pains, God. Lord, I pray that these words will not fall empty, but that you will continue to use them to stir up people's spirits and hearts, that they will not feel condemnation, but that they will see that you come to them in grace and love. That is so unconditional, God, that in all situations you are there. And we thank you for that. In your name we pray, amen.